Hi, Patrick Cox here. Kavita Pillay and I will be back soon with more episodes of Subtitle. We're super grateful for your feedback on our first season, especially to those of you who rated and reviewed us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Please do that if you haven't yet. Thank you. And today, I want to play you an episode from another podcast. It's called A Better Life. It comes from the people at Feet in Two Worlds. Feet in Two Worlds tells stories about, well, that quintessential American narrative, the immigrant experience. So in a way, they cover similar ground to subtitle through a different lens. They're feet in two worlds. We're tongue in two languages. This new podcast, A Better Life, it's about immigrants in America today, in the time of COVID. And by the way, there's a question mark at the end of A Better Life. Here's the episode. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about airports. Growing up in the 1980s, my family and I traveled a lot. My parents are Indians from Tanzania, and I think we traveled so much because we didn't know where we fit in and what world, if any, was ours. I was born and raised in Sacramento, California, but it never felt like home. Growing up, white kids would often ask me, you're not really from here, are you? I never knew how to answer that question. I still don't. And yet each time I traveled, I was reminded about how lucky I was to grow up here. That's because on each of our trips, we always met people who wanted to come to the US. Some wanted to escape political violence, some for better economic opportunities, and others like this one dude I met in Cairo, he just wanted to come to the US because he was a fan of Baywatch. How do we find what you did? How do we get a better life like you? They often asked us. But lately, I'm not so sure if people still ask that question. I'm Zahir John Mohammed, and this is A Better Life, a podcast from Feet in Two Worlds that explores the impact of COVID-19 on immigrants in the U.S. America's infrastructure is crumbling, as this coronavirus pandemic has made abundantly clear. And immigrants, people of color, African-Americans, indigenous people have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. But the idea of America, the idea that this country can still offer immigrants a better life, is that still alive? This season, you'll hear from first, second, and third generation Americans about how they're struggling during COVID-19. You'll also hear how they've found joy, stories of loss, of discovery, of people who want to leave the US, and people more determined than ever to make their American dream come true. In this episode, two stories of immigrants wrestling with the question, should I stay or should I go? And arriving at different answers. First, we'll hear from our producer, Mia Warren. My mom, Hija, immigrated to the United States from Korea in the 1970s to pursue her dream of getting a PhD. But now she has a different dream. I like to live in a, a outside of Seoul, in a small village or something. I want to be a boarder in a farmhouse with uh, middle-aged women as my helper. I just want to be secluded and peaceful and kind of being taken care of. My mom's lived in the U.S. for more than 40 years. In four decades, she's built an entire life for herself, a long career as a scientific patent agent, two kids who are now grown, and a community of friends in Boulder, Colorado, where I was raised. I live in New York City now, 
and even though we're almost 2,000 miles apart, we're really close. We talk every day on the phone about our favorite books, and when we get together in person, we like to watch our favorite guilty pleasure. Nobody puts baby in a corner. I hate to say dirty dancing, but <laughs> that's, that's a good movie. <laughs> Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. I'm a romantic, deep down, I suppose. I always like to watch dance. Something about being able to dance together and in the movement, there is a true exchange of your soul, love, and warmth, and you don't have to talk. You just dance, and that's enough. My mom doesn't dance often, but she moves a lot. She's an avid outdoors person. With short, cropped white hair at 5 feet and 110 pounds, she's climbed half the peaks at Colorado over 14,000 feet. But that all changed back in January 2020. That afternoon, I started having this dizzy spell. Just out of clear blue, I was really dizzy and a bit nauseated, and I just couldn't figure out. She was experiencing mysterious symptoms every day. Bouts of dizziness, weakness, a lack of appetite, tingly limbs. After taking just a few steps, she'd have to sit down and rest. She couldn't play tennis or hike up a mountain or do most of the things that made retired life so enjoyable. And it all came to a head. I was so affected emotionally that I couldn't breathe at times. I thought I was having a heart attack because I was just breathing really, really hard. And I became afraid of what might happen any minute. As the physical symptoms got worse, so did the emotional angst. She wondered if she would die in her sleep. I couldn't focus on anything at all. And I was afraid of doing a lot of things, going for a walk alone, and such an incredible sense of hopelessness and helplessness overtook me that I couldn't function. Here's the thing. I know there's no right time to get sick. You can't predict these things. But when my mom got sick, it felt like the exact wrong time. Or put it this way, if my mom were healthy during this pandemic, she wouldn't have a care in the world. I know her. She'd be hiking in the mountains, breathing fresh air, not worrying about a virus she couldn't even see. She wasn't sick with COVID. It was something else. We still don't know what it is. For as long as I can remember, my mom has been forging her own path. She was born in 1953 in a village on the southern tip of South Korea. The war ended just after she was born. She was the only girl in a family with six brothers. In 1976, my mom enrolled in graduate school at Miami University of Ohio. The week before the school term started, she was still in Seoul, waiting for her letter of acceptance to arrive. So last minute, I made it happen. I bought the ticket and packed in a great hurry, went to the international airport with all my family. I finally got on the airplane and I sat down and I just started sobbing uncontrollably because it just hit me that I was going alone, some, someplace I've never been. It could be Moon or Mars or anything. People said Ohio was cold, so my mom packed a few thick blankets in her suitcase. She brought a Panasonic rice cooker, and of course, a packet of ojingo, her favorite dried squid snack. But like many immigrants, she never planned on staying. At the time, my sole goal was 
getting a PhD and go back to Korea where I came from. But it didn't happen that way because life has its own way of working things out. What she means is that she met my dad, a white American man. They divorced when I was a kid. Out of all her siblings, my mom is the only one to marry a non-Korean and the only one to get a divorce. She's always done things as she saw fit, without caring much about what others think. She's happy living this way, and I've always admired her for it. But she never saw this sickness coming, and it changed her. All in all, I've lost confidence in life, Mia. I never thought I would say that. But you know what I used to be? I will say, God damn it, and just stand up and fly right kind of attitude. Right as my mom started getting sick with a mystery illness, death rates from the coronavirus started spiking in the U.S. Tonight, troubling new data from the World Health Organization. The U.S. marked its deadliest 24 hours last week, with more than 2,900 lives lost to COVID-19. My brother and I both live on the East Coast. When the pandemic hit, we were really freaked out. We started staying home. Friends posted cooking videos and Instagrammed their virtual happy hours. But back in March and April, I watched my mom's sickness collide with Colorado's stay-at-home orders, and her entire way of life shut down. Like many others, she was confined to her house, staring at the walls with nowhere to go, no one to see. And suddenly I felt like everybody was having a good time in terms of family and friends and social things, except me. I I had the sense I'm sitting inside the house. I felt like I'm about to explode because I was so isolated. There's nobody near me to support me emotionally. Of course, nobody was having a good time. But my mom couldn't process what was happening with hundreds of people dying every day from COVID-19. Hello? Sorry, Mom. Sorry, say that again? That's us, talking on April 30th. I was recording it on my phone walking through my neighborhood in Brooklyn. It was a really windy day. I was about to take my bike to Jack's to be tuned. Who's Jack? It's a a bike shop in the neighborhood. In this conversation, I was worried my mom wasn't taking social distancing seriously. Why don't you call them first? Okay. And just say, hey, what's the plan as far as this goes? Can I drop it off? safely? Can I pick it up safely? You know. Oh, okay. And then okay. When, when you bring the bike home, obviously, you, you have to make sure that you really thoroughly wipe it down and then wash your hands and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I know. I know. That weekend, coronavirus deaths in New York City topped 18,000. People experiencing homelessness were sleeping on subway trains out of desperation. Governor Andrew Cuomo ordered that the cars be cleaned overnight to prevent infections. Those early days, I was too scared to leave my apartment, sometimes for days at a time. Like millions of other New Yorkers, I was having horrible nightmares. The sirens never seemed to stop. A few weeks into lockdown, my roommate and I got into a fight about how to disinfect broccoli. To just be able to feel fresh air on my face, I'd climb onto my fire escape and up onto the roof. I turned 30, right before the pandemic hit New York City hard. And in the past month and a half, I had counted about 20 new white hairs on my head. My mom, on the other hand, she was totally preoccupied with her condition. In March, my mom started talking about going back to Korea. She could get treated for her illness. She was done with the American healthcare system. It's despicable. It's the efficiency and the way 
sick people, especially elders, are handled. No matter how much you assert that you're hurting like hell, the help comes so slow and neglected. I had to yell many, many times to see a doctor. I mean, that's, it's just unmerciful. Her thought was simple. If I go back to the country I left more than four decades ago, the country of my birth, I'll get better medical care. They have a comprehensive system. You go to a clinic. They run all kinds of possible tests and take all the images from brain to whole body MRI and you know, go into your stomach. and They do everything so that they can find the culprit. Since 1989, the South Korean healthcare system has served 97% of the population. It's a tight, efficient, and affordable ship. Even foreign nationals have access to healthcare. My mom's youngest brother lives in the U.S. too, and talking to him made her think she wasn't crazy to consider going back. In his mind, I dismissed Korea and everything that has to do with Korea and been holding America as kind of a promised land. And he says something like, what has this country done to you? And at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you're suffering and they can't even figure out what's wrong with you. And he said, it's about time you go back to Korea, where you come from and you've been neglecting that aspect of your life so much. And he was really like, he was trashing this country and everything that's American. But what does it even mean to go back? The Korea my mom left isn't the same place it is now. Gangnam style, plastic surgery, and a clean, efficient transit system that puts New York to shame. None of these things was a blip on the radar when my mom emigrated in the 70s. And my mom is privileged. She's built a financially secure life for herself here in the U.S. She owns her own house. She's a U.S. citizen. Where many immigrants don't have a choice about whether to come or go, she does. So I asked, why didn't she ever give Korea a second chance? I think that was my way of dealing with justifying my life, why I didn't go back because um, I could do much better here, you know, which I have done. But Korea has changed after I left. So it's not like I, I've been watching very carefully, and they just bypassed us. The South Korean government has been extremely successful in finding ways to slow the curve of the virus. By mid-February, they were producing thousands of COVID diagnostic tests by the day. They've used contact tracing and imposed strict isolation on COVID patients, and they've been able to keep infection numbers relatively low. But when my mom thinks about going back, she's not thinking about COVID. She's thinking about her own health, and she's building a dream. There are trees and forests and rice paths and a creek running nearby. I can walk down to the creek and walk around the small hills, and there will be locals sitting outside and gossiping and things like that. You know. We may have nothing in common, but that scene just gives me such a peaceful image. I like to be part of it. I still don't know how real that dream is. Is it something she's actually considering? Or just a fantasy she's building out of desperation? I'm not sure. I am sure about one thing. Throughout this experience, my mom and I have both realized how important it is for us to be together. I wasn't a good daughter to my mother, mainly because uh, there was a huge distance, right? I, I couldn't take care of my mother even if I wanted. 
she was acutely aware of it. Her view was America ruined her life because so many of her children came over and she couldn't be family like the way she was accustomed to. So my mother was quite bitter at the end. I still don't know if my mom will make it to Korea. We don't know when it'll be safe to get on a plane. There are so many unknowns. In the meantime, she's decided to move to the East Coast to be closer to me and my brother. I'm relieved at the thought of being a car ride away from her, but scared not knowing what her future looks like. Her health remains a mystery. I don't want this to be a sad story. I want to know how it ends. And I want to be a good daughter to my mother. A couple of months ago, I drove from New York to Colorado to help my mom sell her house. Moving cross-country during a pandemic is as crazy as it sounds, and then some. But my mom is an immigrant. She knows how to build a new life, because she's done it before. Whether it's a better life, we'll just have to see. That story was produced by Mia Warren, who is also the producer of this series. Check out a photo of Mia and her mom at our website, abetterlifepodcast.com. Some immigrants look at the COVID numbers in the U.S., as well as the rising anti-immigrant sentiment, and think, why did I even come here? But others see it differently. That's what our next story is about. After watching how COVID-19 was impacting her family back home in Sonora, Mexico, Elsa Don Juan became more determined than ever to remain in the U.S. Stay with us. This is A Better Life from Feet Into Worlds. I'm Zahir John Muhammad. My sister, she's the only one that was born in Tucson, but we all were born in Mexico. Elsa Don Juan grew up in a small city in Sonora, Mexico. She came to the U.S. in 2008 and now lives in a suburb of Phoenix. And I guess dreams do come true because since my husband got the job, then I was just like along for the ride for the work visa and everything. So everything just came true, I guess. And we were living the American dream that most Mexicans dream of all their life to come here legally. Elsa was able to get U.S. health insurance for her elderly parents who live in Mexico. It seemed like enough. But everything changed in March, when the virus started spreading rapidly on both sides of the border. Elsa went back to Mexico to take care of her parents. Reporter Maritza Felix spoke to Elsa. What do you like the most of living here? There's no danger living here. And if we miss Mexico, it's like the border is three hours away. So we have the best of both worlds. Now tell me a little bit about your parents getting sick with COVID. When the stuff got pretty bad here in Arizona back in March, they said, we're closing the borders in four days. So I call them and I say, please come and be with us here and we could all be together. They're a little bit stubborn. My mom's like, no, I can't get ready in four days. I have so much stuff to do, la, la, la. And so they decided not to come. And then the border closed and they couldn't come anymore. And I was just worried sick all the time because my dad, he's older, he's 80. And then my mom is 69. And I was just like, oh my God, if this gets bad in my little town, if they get infected, this could go really bad because there's not going to be any hospitals. My dad, he was the first to get sick. And then my mom got sick a week later. And then when do you decide to cross the border to Mexico and 
take care of your parents. How was it to make that decision? My husband, he was pretty upset. He really didn't want me to go, but I just couldn't sleep. I remember one day it was 3 a.m. I called like 40 companies trying for them to sell me PP, protected gear, and they wouldn't. But I had this really bad feeling. My dad got worse pretty quickly. And so when we got the results back that he has really bad pneumonia in both lungs, that's when I said, this is it. I have to be there. And I just went into my husband's office. I was like firm. You know, I was like, I'm not asking. I'm leaving tomorrow, 5 a.m. My main focus was to keep my parents alive. And so I drove as fast as I could, got there in eight hours. And as soon as I walked in the door, I saw my dad. He was in really bad shape. I sent the doctors the video and said, this is bad. And so the doctors, when they saw that, and they saw that he has 78% of oxygen on his body, he had like 103 fever. And so that very same day that I arrived, he left in an ambulance. So what preparations do you make to be at your parents' house with all this COVID around you? I, of course, call my doctor here and asked information like, what can I do so that I don't get this virus? And so I already had an N95 mask and then I bought the hazmat, the gloves, and I wore the shield. I took Lysol, I took a great hospital disinfectant. So first, when I arrived home, I put everything on. I went in a room and so there was a whole process to go into that room. So it was little by little, take the shield off, take the goggles off, disinfect yourself. And then I threw all that away. I would wash my hands, wash my face, and then go immediately into the shower. And then I went to sleep. How was it to be dressed like an astronaut, trying to keep safe? I suffer from menopause, so I have hot flashes. And so my parents had really high fevers and all the time they were shivering, you know, they were cold. So there was no air conditioning on. So, you know, Mexico, it was hot as hell and I'm wearing my personal sauna. So I was sweating like a pig the whole day, like the goggles will fog and I couldn't see a thing. What do you think was the most difficult moment being over there? When I arrived and I saw my dad breathing that way, he was like almost incoherent. And that was the scariest moment of my life because I thought he might die. You know, he might die right here. When it was just my mom and I for the several six days, she was so sick. She had like no energy. She didn't eat. Her temperature would come all of a sudden like a wave hit her and then she would take medicine for it and then she'll be fine. But once it came back again, it was pretty bad. I've never seen her in such bad shape and she lost a lot of weight. And I kept going for nine days like that because when you're against imminent danger, your body really delivers. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like it. I think I'm pretty good at bottling emotions up. <laughs> so I just feel like I need a little bit of therapy to just to get the trauma out because I've been through PTSD. 
it used to suffer from that, from the many years of the infertility that I went through. When my baby finally was born, I had really bad PTSD and then postpartum depression. So I know myself and I know when that's like creeping up on me. So I know that I need to get help. I know that you told us that your parents have a U.S. health insurance and you were thinking about the possibility of bringing them to the United States to get treatment, how it went. At the beginning, they said, you can bring them if they have an appointment with a doctor. That's when they first got sick a month ago. And then when I saw my mom, she was not getting better. I wanted to bring her with me. They say, well, it's only if... She has an appointment with a doctor that is like a matter of life and death. Then she won't cross the border. Have you think about getting your parents on this side of the border, on the U.S. side of the border to become like legal residents so they can stay with you or that's not an option for you guys? I've been telling my sister for years that she should make them U.S. citizen and More so when Trump came into the office, I was sure he was going to change the policy. And so I was very afraid of that. And so I kept insisting that they do it and they decided not to do it. And now that this happened, I talked to them and I said, we have to learn from our mistakes. We can't wait any longer. You're going to be an American citizen and you're going to be able to come into this country if something goes wrong. You feel safer on this side of the border. Oh yeah, totally safer. I mean, I come from a very small city in Sonora, which is right next door to the border. And it was like the safest town to live in. But right now there's the narcos and all the stuff going on there is really ugly. I don't want them living there anymore. I want them to come and live with me. Will you go back to living in Mexico? Never. We've lived here for 11 years, and just the thought about moving to another country, I was like, no, I don't want to leave the U.S. I want to stay here. But thank God it didn't happen. I feel like if the U.S. gets a little bit cold next door, Mexico gets pneumonia. It's bad. They really suffer from the consequences of what happens in the U.S. And we're seeing it right now. Things got pretty, pretty bad after COVID arrived to them. At the beginning, I used to panic. I just had to uh, stop watching the news, but I could see in the news feeds of our friends that it's so high now, we're, we're worse than New York per capita. And it doesn't scare me anymore because I've seen COVID and I know how it works. When I talk to my doctor, he's like, you're gonna get it. It doesn't matter if you have an N95, you are gonna get it. This is very contagious. So when I went there, I was like, okay, if I get it, I get it. So what? So I decided not to be afraid of it. Elsa Don Juan speaking to reporter Maritza Felix. Since she spoke to us in June, Elsa's parents are still in Mexico. She asked for a helicopter ambulance to bring them to the U.S., but their health insurance denied it. They're still suffering from health effects related to the coronavirus. To see the full protective gear that Elsa wore when she stayed at her parents' home in Mexico, visit her website at betterlifepodcast.com. You can read more about her podcast and her team there, too. 
We're all living through this pandemic, and we're often coming to radically different conclusions about where we belong. Have you been through something similar to Elsa or Hija? If so, we want to hear about it. Connect with us. We're at Feet in Two Worlds. That's the number two on social media. We'd love to know what your experiences have been like and to hear what you think of the show. That's all for this episode. It was produced by Mia Warren. She's our executive producer. Elsa's story was reported by Maritza Felix. Our audio engineer and senior producer is Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our assistant producer is Anna Delana. Our development coordinator is Alejandro Salazar Dyer. Our executive editor is John Rudolph. Our theme song was composed by Farid Sajjan. I'm Zahir John Mohammed. Thanks for listening. There's more info about A Better Life at abetterlifepodcast.com. The podcast is produced by Feet in Two Worlds, which for 15 years has been telling the stories of today's immigrants and advancing the careers of immigrant journalists. Supporters include the Ford Foundation, the David and Catherine Moore Family Foundation, the Ralph E. Ogden Foundation, the J.M. Kaplan Fund, the Listening Post Collective, an anonymous donor, and listeners like you. Feet in Two Worlds is a project of the Center for New York City Affairs at the New School. And thanks for listening to this guest podcast on the subtitle feed. Please rate and review subtitle at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's good to hear what you like and what you don't like. And of course, all those reviews help get the word out to others. If you want to get in touch with us directly, the best way is on Twitter. We're at LingoPod. I'm also on Twitter at PatryCox. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-O-X. Thanks for listening. And like I said at the top, Kavita and I will be back soon. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.